Hello, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter, and this podcast is a repost of a presentation from Tuesday, April 28th, that provided updates on two major themes for Canadian canola growers right now, market access to China and COVID-19. The presenters are Jim Everson, President of the Canola Council of Canada, and Rick White, President and CEO of the Canadian Canola Growers Association. Brian Innes, Vice President, Corporate Affairs with the Canola Council, moderates the presentation and the question and answer sections. Jim Everson leads us off with an update on market access conditions with China. Welcome everybody, thank you for joining our call this morning. Um, as you know, China blocked the shipments of canola seed to China in March 2019, disallowing um, a couple of our major exporters of canola seed, Viterra and Richardson, from exporting. And we've been committed to holding these calls with growers to ensure that they're aware of the latest developments because of the importance and size of the Chinese market. And industry and federal government have been working to restore full trade and predictable trade with China. And as part of that, a number of technical calls and meetings have been held between Government of Canada officials and those in China. And the latest of those was on March 30th, when Canadian and Chinese officials uh, discussed the matter. China at that time informed Canada that the current trade in canola seed can continue um, at this time, but the dockage levels would need to be less than 1% in all future shipments as of uh, effective April 1st. So Canada has been shipping about 30% of what we would normally have been um, exporting in the way of canola seed to China uh, over recent months. Uh, those shipments, for the most part, have been at low dockage levels. So that level of trade should be able to continue under these circumstances with China. Ch canola shipments to China remain blocked um, as the licenses of those two larger exporters uh, continue to be suspended. And our our priority is certainly to restore full trade and have all Canadian exporters included in that trade. And we will keep working on this and this file until that's uh, restored, until full trail trade is restored. Oil and meal exports to China uh, are, are continuing. So that's the current status as of April 1st. And moving ahead, um, I want to just remind everybody that we're very confident of the quality of Canadian canola and we need a predictable science-based trade environment, which is a goal that we're working to with all Canadian exporters included. The Canola Council, working with the Canadian Canola Growers Association, will continue to work on focusing Ottawa's attention to support these priorities and resume canola exports. We're in touch with the Government of Canada officials regularly, like almost daily, um, and with the export companies on an ongoing basis working on this issue. With the blockage uh, with China continues, Canadian exporters are being successful in moving canola to other markets. On a year-to-date basis, canola exports are up to Bangladesh, the United Arab Emirates, Europe, Pakistan, um, and other markets. And our exports to valued traditional markets, Japan, Mexico, and the United States remain strong as well. We are also continuing our outreach internationally and to develop contacts and promote canola in new markets. These activities are affected by COVID-19 mitigation efforts uh, as a result of the lack of ability to travel and, and so on, but we continue this work. In December, Canola Council staff were in Pakistan meeting with industry and government officials. We have been hosting seminars directed to the feed industry, providing information on canola meal and animal feed rations. And we've been updating our promotional and technical information materials and distributing them to target markets. We are still uh, also working with and urging the federal government to establish a stronger presence and more regular contact with regulators and policymakers, particularly in key Asian markets. Diversification of our markets means creating the infrastructure to communicate on a technical and a policy level on a regular basis with those countries, understand what their positions are and, and the directions they're moving. And so we're urging our government to provide additional resources to be able to do that. In the domestic market, we continue to advocate with the federal and provincial governments for an improved business environment for biofuels production, which would increase canola utilization and also spur more investment in value-added processing in Canada. 
So I wanted to turn it over to Rick White now with the Canadian Canola Growers Association to provide his perspective on China and also to detail in more efforts our work on biofuels. Thank you, Jim, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'd just like to reiterate that uh, when the uh, issue of uh, China blocking canola seed occurred over a year ago now, um, the government uh, and industry set up the Canola Working Group. Just a reminder that Canola Working Group continues to work to this day. Um, Jim is the co-chair, uh, the industry co-chair of the Canola Working Group and uh, producer representation uh, from CCJ includes Bernie McLean, our chair of the board of directors and Mike Amateur, the vice chair and myself, and we have regular calls. Um, on the agenda, um, typically for that working group uh, is an item that we call producer support and that's where uh, we're quite active in giving direct feedback to the government on the situation. Um, a regular agenda item um, is also uh, biofuels, and Jim had uh, mentioned that briefly. Um, I'm going to concentrate just for a moment on what we are doing on the domestic market diversification front for biofuels and trying to increase the use of biofuels in Canada overall. We are pushing to increase the national uh, renewable fuel standard uh, to 5% of renewable content in diesel nationally. Um, that um, is still under discussion, um, but at the mean, in the meantime, we are continuing to do work uh, more domestically and provincially. Um, just a quick update, uh, Quebec, uh, the provinces of Quebec is currently consulting on moving to a uh, 4% uh, renewable fuel standard in the province of Quebec, uh, which is very good news. They're in a consultation mode uh, right now, and we are providing direct input to that, and just to give you a sense of where they're going or thinking right now in their consultations, they're proposing a, a 1% uh, uh, renewable content for diesel uh, in 2021 and moving uh, to 4% by 2027. Um, just to give you a, a, an example of what that means, a 4% mandate in Quebec could be as much as 455,000 tons of canola, but that's assuming that there's no other feedstocks available to fill that mandate, which is pretty unreasonable. Um, on the lower side of the scale, it could be as much as 180 to 200,000 tons of canola seed. That's if canola is at its typical 40% uh, market share of the feedstock. So there is some opportunity coming there, but it's going to be a while. It's going to take a number of years for that to be implemented. But we are still working not only provincially, but nationally to get this in place as a domestic mar market development and diversification initiative to increase the demand for canola here in Canada. Another longstanding um, agenda item of the Canola Working Group is business risk management. And we are continually and actively inside and outside the, uh, the um, Canola Working Group uh, we are asking for changes to business risk management programs. Um, our, our primary ask is, is basically um, agri-stability. We would like to see that program changed. Um, we've been talking about that for a long time with the government, and we continue to press on that issue. Uh, I'll note that the there is an extension of the deadline to apply to July 3rd for agri-stability this year. Um, so that's one small step forward. But our real ask is we are pushing the government to in to uh, return the uh, reference margin uh, to 85% up from current 70%. And we want to remove the reference margin limit. Uh, those are two asks uh, to improve the agri-stability program as quickly as the government can do it. We know that they're considering it. But again, no decisions to date from the government on that. Uh, adjacent to that ask is we are asking the government to look at Agri-Invest and have proposed that Agri-Invest should be moved to uh, the government contribution up to 5%, currently at 1% of allowable net sales and with no matching. So we're asking the government to put in 5% without government matching um, into Agri-Invest. That is being met with, I, I would say, uh, apprehension, to put it uh, lightly, I guess. 
Um, but we still continue to push that uh, as well. There seems to be a bit of convergence on doing something through agri-recovery, um, still yet to be determined, but those are other discussions that we're currently having as well. And then finally, uh, usually the, uh, the advanced payment program comes up under producer support as well. And uh, so just a reminder that uh, the uh, 2018 advanced payments program uh, had a, an extended stay of default for the 2018 program, which would have come due the end of March. Um, and we went to the government and were successful in getting that extension another extension to the 2018 program with a new deadline of September 30th now. The problem is that September 30th deadline for the 2018 program also lines up with the deadline for the 2019 program. And so we'll be wa watching closely and monitoring that very closely um, into the late spring, early summer to see if something needs to be done with those deadlines. Um, and for those of you that aren't aware, on the phone, uh, CCJ is um, an administrator of that advanced payments program for the federal government. And they increased the limits to a million dollars last year um, in a, to uh, recognize the cash flow crunch that farmers were having. So that kind of rounds out, Jim, the, uh, the producer support uh, section that I wanted to talk about as it relates to China and some of the changes that have been going on um, over the past year. So I'll turn it uh, back to you. Great. Thanks a lot, Rick. It's Brian here. I think we'll stop for questions on anything related to China uh, before moving into the COVID-19 section of the call. We've had a number of questions submitted before the webinar, as well as some that have come in during the webinar. Uh, we'll start off with Ross from Manitoba, who asks, is there any chance that normal trade will resume? And is there a way to get our own government to do something that will really help farmers? I think we'll turn it over to Jim to start, and Rick, if you want to uh, also comment on this. So with respect to um, access to China, um, you know, this is not a uh, quick fix kind of circumstance, obviously. It's been an issue for over a year in terms of the action China took against a couple of our major Canadian exporters. You know, it's a complicated file. It's a file that's... Uh, goes well beyond the issue of canola and, and uh, is about um, the relations more generally between China and Canada uh, for the most part. Um, I think it's really important that producers and the industry continue to raise the issue with government given the importance of the market and, and our uh, efforts to um, continue to export to China. Um, there, is, there are issues obviously currently uh, that are preoccupying the government of Canada um, and, and lots of other governments. Um, so it's important that we continue to raise the issue of China with our own government. Um, but the you know, federal government is, has made strong efforts to support our industry on this. It's, it's something that requires a receptivity on China's part in addition to uh, approach from the Canadian government. Um, we have a new ambassador, a relatively new ambassador in China now, and uh, over time uh, that relationship should um, should improve. Um, but it's it's something that really requires uh, strong bilateral work at the highest political level, and we continue to work with our government towards that. Great. We'll go. Uh, we have a question, two questions actually, that are very similar uh, from both Ron and Normand, <clears throat> and the questions are essentially around, uh, if Cargill is not blocked, why are we not shipping canola to China via Cargill and other exporters uh, and concentrating other grains through Viterra and Richardson? Well, I guess I would say it's Jim that, um, you know, other exporters are um, following their, their business um, strategies in, in terms of exporting to China. There, as I say, there has been in recent months, approximately 30% of the levels that we were used to uh, previously in shipping to China. So other Canadian exporters are accessing the, the Chinese market for, for canola seed. And at the same time, uh, working through the Canola Council on diversification of markets, uh, you know, and, and uh, engaging new markets. We have another question uh, in a similar vein from Lee. Lee asks, I believe you said Canada is shipping about 30% of normal uh, canola exports to China at low dockage. Is that correct? And if Viterra and Richardson can get down to less than 1%, does that mean that shipments could resume? 
So the challenge, as I understand it, with those companies is that um, their permits were suspended uh, in March. So it is not in March 2019. So it's not a question simply of, of meeting these new terms that China has dictated for canola seed uh, effective immediately. They, they also, uh, those two companies need to work with this, with the government of Canada and Chinese officials on, um, on, on re-securing their licenses to ship to China. And we're almost coming to the end of our China questions before we move on to COVID-19. We have uh, one last question uh, submitted here from Lee. Uh, who asks, uh, you mentioned several new market opportunities for Canadian canola. With all that considered, how much of the 2019 or 20 crops still needs a home? And do these new markets make up for the amount that uh, that has been lost uh, with China? Um, Lee, I don't have all of those statistics right at my fingertips. Um, we are encouraged that exporters are being able to access uh, new markets and and and, and and divert or, or uh, diversify seed sales to, to other markets. Um, I, I don't think I can um, provide a complete up-to-date on exactly uh, how much it's been, uh, that would have normally gone to China, have gone to other, other markets. Thanks, Jim. I believe you were saying earlier in the call that our exports to Europe, to Pakistan, to the UAE, uh, as well as other uh, markets have increased over over the course of the crop year. Yes, that's correct. Okay, at this point, uh, we're having no further questions on China at the moment. We'll move to the COVID-19 portion of the agenda. Jim, over to you for COVID-19. Okay, so thank you very much. So it, you know, it's, uh, it's never been so important for global supply chains to be able to feed people and animals. And we're working to assure that we can continue to produce and deliver high quality canola products and, and deliver them to our customers. The Canola Council, again, working closely with the Canadian Canola Growers Association, has been participating in regular coordination calls. We have these calls three times a week with Agriculture Canada and the Canadian um, Food Inspection Agency. Um, and we've also been coordinating with Cereals Canada and Pulse Canada and other national grains and oil seeds organizations um, on priorities for the sector during these, uh, you know, really unprecedented times. We have a lot in common in terms of uh, our objectives as grains and oil and seeds industries. So we are working with other, other national associations on that front. We've really focused on ensuring that farmers have access to inputs and resources to get the 2020 crop in the ground. We have been uh, advocating that the value chain be included as an essential service when it comes to COVID restrictions and governments over the past uh, period of time, we've been advocating that. And governments, both federal and provincial, have really taken action to do so. By and large, when it comes to farm inputs and equipment parts, rail, truck, and marine infrastructure, and the grain handling and processing network, the industry appears to be handling this crisis very well. We are eager, certainly, to hear any concerns of farmers or industry have. But in general, reports from the value chain are good and conditions, at least as, as far as they relate to the COVID restrictions, appear good as seeding gets going uh, in earnest. There are a couple of areas of concern that we are, are currently uh, working on. One of them deals with uh, the research community. Agriculture Canada is reviewing its ability to continue to research, to continue its research projects, given the public health restrictions in place and it's scaling its research operations back to critical services only. So this, the Canola Council is advocating for a timely start to the 2020 field trials that Agriculture Canada normally does, as long as they can be executed, and we think they, they in many cases can be, in a manner that's safe for all those that are involved from a COVID point of view. Field trials from Agriculture Canada are a key component of the research work the Canola Council uh, coordinates on behalf of the industry, including research into black leg and sclerotinia and, and, and other yield robbing diseases and so on. And where possible, we hope this research can continue over the coming growing season. There may be circumstances in, with particular projects where it's unfeasible without jeopardizing workers' health and safety to, to carry on the research work, but we were, we're ready, very much work, ready to work with, uh, with 
Agriculture Canada to help find solutions and, and do this on a case-by-case, project-by-project basis. So we're continuing to work with Agriculture Canada Science and Technology Division on that front. In terms of uh, the Canola Council's agronomic services, um, you know, these services are really uh, important from our point of view for growers and commercial agronomy. It's a top priority for the Canola Council. We will not change this commitment to support producers, but our approaches and our programs will change. We're committed to working with provincial growers associations, the commissions in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta to find solutions to support growers while meeting the standards that are, that are required by those provinces' public health officials. Um, <clears throat> some of the changes uh, will require field events such as the Paloozas that we have uh, partnered with provincial grower associations to deliver um, will change. So the Paloozas uh, will be can are cancelled this year. However, you know, we're really focused on providing timely and relevant information through a wide variety of communications tools. This includes our Canola Watch e-newsletter, video and podcasts, Canola Encyclopedia website, social media and radio spots. <clears throat> Between us and the provincial commissions, we're very much dedicated to supporting producers agronomically through the 2020 crop, despite uh, and, and in keeping with and adapting to uh, the standards that have been applied to support mitigation of COVID. So we'll continue to support producers that way. Um, so Rick White and the CCJ have all also been, you know, working very hard on this issue and being involved in the discussions with Agriculture Canada. And so I want to turn it over to Rick and uh, talk about what the CCGA is doing uh, to support producers at this time. Thanks, Jim. Yes, uh, COVID-19, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, daily calls um, are happening with the entire agriculture sector and the team at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and we're all on those calls every day. Um, and the purpose is to uh, bring COVID-19 related issues facing agriculture and food production to the senior management uh, officials at uh, AAFC. Um, and try to find solutions uh, or responses to those challenges. It's somewhat of a SWAT team approach, I would call it, um, with uh, very senior officials at Ag Canada, including the Minister of Agriculture. Um, our <clears throat> main, main priority since uh, day one has been the continuous operation of uh, supply chains for farmers, both inbound uh, for the provision of inputs to get the seed seeding underway and uh, maintained through the uh, growing season. And of course, the outbound uh, supply chains, uh, domestic, uh, national and international, and that's uh, whether it's trucks or trains, uh, we're keeping a very close eye on that too. Um, as co-chair of the Crop Logistics Working Group, um, I uh, we have a, a working group um, that focuses solely on grain movement. Um, and we are very closely monitoring the situation through that working group um, to make sure that grain continues to keep moving and remains, uh, remains fluid. And things are pretty good uh, right now at the current time, but that can change at any time as well. One issue that has uh, taken up considerable time um, at the, uh, at, at, on these meetings <clears throat> is the uh, issue of temporary foreign worker workers that are needed uh, by many in the ag industry that rely on temporary foreign workers. An issue there is uh, the restrictions on people coming into uh, Canada um, and complying with the uh, COVID-19 restrictions and self-isolation um, issues there. Um, processing plants, greenhouses, vegetable producers, grains and oilseed farms, rely on temporary foreign workers. I think they've kind of got that sorted out now, um, but there are still a lot of details and issues that pop up um, and it's taken a lot of time on these daily COVID-19 calls. Another issue that is emerging <clears throat> is the uh, personal protection equipment, PPE availability for producers. Uh, we've heard a lot uh, from a lot of producers about the lack of uh, equipment, uh, PPE equipment. Uh, for farmers to conduct your operations, uh, such as grain handling and seed treating and spraying related activities. And so CCJ has brought this issue directly to the Ag Canada team. And uh, we're still waiting a response on 
next steps, but they are well aware of the issue. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get that sorted out with the government to ensure farmers have the equipment that they need to do their job on farm um, during the COVID-19 crisis here. And of course, uh, cash flow is a big concern for many farmers at this time of year, COVID related or not, um, it seems. And uh, so we, uh, CCJ has had recent discussions with uh, government of Canada or the uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, including the minister directly on getting some changes um, to the APP program to help support uh, and, and, and get our, these advances through our system faster. And I can elaborate that later on if need be, but uh, we, we have had some movement there uh, to help us, um, given that we have uh, vacated our office and moved everyone remotely in the office. And that includes all staff in the administration of the advanced payments program. So we're all working remotely um, and uh, that has caused some issues um, in, a, in, in including some of the new rules that Canada put on us. So we uh, will continue to monitor the supply chains issue um, in, ter in terms of seed and fertilizer, et cetera. Fuel deliveries is also a key one. And, um, you know, I, I, as I think through this, I think there could be some disruptions possibly in, in, in feed grain supply chains because we are starting to see disruptions in the large animal markets due to closures of packing plants, for example, meat, uh, beef, I should say, pork. Some of these things may start to impact some of the feed grain uh, supply chains and uh, demand for feed grains. But again, that's just that's just a heads up thing. It's uh, just my my thought on that. I uh, just wanted to raise it that uh, that we should all be thinking about that, especially as farmers, because I know uh, most of you probably grow some kind of cereals and feed grains in your rotations. So I think that's what I wanted to cover, Jim, on COVID-19. So I'll turn it back to you, Brian. Thanks a lot, Rick. So we've had a number of questions come in over the course of the call. Uh, we hope to get to as many of them as possible. Uh, there's been a number of questions around business risk management as well as cash advance. Um, uh, we'll start with a question that we had from Lyle in Manitoba, but also Ron in Manitoba has asked something very similar around processing delays for cash advance. Um, the question is uh, related to the delays and uh, whether these delays uh, are likely to continue and whether what farmers should expect uh, as cash advance is now administered from employees in their in their homes. Great question, um, and yes, I was expecting that. We are behind in the uh, administration of the advance, uh, advances. Uh, we're definitely behind in our regular turnaround time of receiving the application and getting it out the door. Typically, we're running three to five business days, but that is out the window at the present moment because, um, because of the bad luck of timing for COVID-19, uh, I made the decision to uh, get all our staff out of the office in mid-March. Um, because April 1 was coming, that's the launch of the new 2020 program, which is usually our busiest weeks uh, or month of the year. Um, and to ensure business continuity, the only way I could do that was to get everybody out and working remotely from home. And we lost a lot of efficiency. Now that would have been fine, except in addition to that, Ag Canada implemented new rules on assessing uh, more, a more stringent process to determine credit worthiness for the 2020 program starting April 1. So that added a lot more work um, to an already reduced functionality of our business continuity. Um, given about a week into that, I could see that we were going backwards quickly. The, the, uh, we're getting behind further and further. I brought it up directly with the minister that we needed to relax those new, uh, more stringent rules that they imposed on April 1 and to back those off. Um, <clears throat> after a week of negotiating with the uh, bureaucrats, uh, we did get some relief there and we did get some relaxation, not total relaxation of the new rules, but considerable relaxation, which now allows us the, uh, to get those advances done quicker. Now we do have a big backlog and we're chewing through it right now, but we are 
starting to see the backlog starting to move the correct way. Our curve is flattening in terms of time to get those advances out, but we are still several weeks behind. Um, and we have communicated directly with farmers uh, through email and on our website to please, um, to please understand that uh, we're doing the best that we can and with the capacity that we've got uh, and under the new rules that we find ourselves. So it is going in the right direction, Brian. Um, those, those advances are going out the door quicker now because of the relaxation of some of those rules. It's gonna take some time to really wrestle this thing to the ground. Um, so that's, uh, it's on the right track, but, uh, but again, it's gonna take us some time. Thanks, Rick. Now we've got a question around uh, canola meal movement into the U.S. by rail from Jason in Alberta. Has the closing of the Canada-U.S. border affected the movement of canola meal by rail into the U.S.? And I think this is also in the spirit of a similar question from Alan in Manitoba, who asks about um, demand for canola products uh, as a result of COVID-19. And will the closure of borders as a result of COVID-19 make buyers more anxious to secure supplies of seed, oil, and meal? So a specific question on meal into the U.S., but also related, uh, how is it COVID affecting uh, the, the demand for seed, oil, and meal? So we'll turn that over to Jim. Well, thanks for the question. Uh, I, on the transportation issue, I'm not aware at all of any disruptions of transportation from of canola meal into the United States. Um, for the most part, in terms of the transborder traffic going back and forth from Canada to the United States and the, and the uh, provision of farm inputs into the, to Canada and so on, uh, things uh, all reports are that they are going well. So, so I don't have any, any uh, knowledge of, of a challenge getting canola meal into the United States. Um, I think there is uh, certainly uh, questions about the global economy and, and where it is going and the impact it can have on, on all kinds of products and, and especially uh, uh, animal feed and food issues. Um, so I, I don't have a crystal ball on that front. I, I think that uh, we're facing some very uncertain times globally. Um, we are an essential service in Canada, so um, governments here certainly recognize the importance of continuing the food and feed chains. And uh, around the world, people need access to food, um, and in some cases, there may be some uh, restrictions on 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 food in some places. So I so I think uh, from a grains and oilseeds point of view, um, uh, there should be demand for products generally. Um, I note that uh, the government of Canada, um, with a number of other countries, some 22 or 23 other countries, uh, work through the WTO to, to, to provide a statement about the importance in the future of, uh, of measures taken on COVID not adversely affecting trade in agriculture and agri-food products, which would ultimately have negative effects on food security, nutrition, and the health of uh, of of people living in the countries that have signed on to this document. So, you know, I think there's a there's always a difference between these kinds of statements and what actually happens, but Canada has been really involved in trying to move forward and make sure that in the case of food and global trade and food and animal animal products that uh, animal feed products that uh, protectionism uh, doesn't become a factor. So I hope that partly addresses the question, Brian. It does. Uh, we've had a number of questions come in around uh, changes to demand as a result of COVID uh, in different markets in the U.S. and China. Uh, so, Jim, I know it's uh, you've mentioned it's hard to have a crystal ball, but I'll try to ask uh, the questions that have been raised by those on the phone, um, in including uh, Kent uh, Ward. Uh, we also have a question from Wayne as well in Saskatchewan. Um, I'll, I'll ask them similarly here and give you an opportunity to provide uh, some context, Jim. The questions are around what, what the breakdown of canola use in China is, um, uh, household versus uh, commercial food processors. Uh, that has certainly been in the news around the impact of, of people eating out less on French fry demand, which is what Ward is asking about in the United States and how that could potentially negatively impact oil demand for uh, canola in the U.S. market, not having French fries served as often. Um, and then a further question from Kent who asks, how, how much demand are you anticipating with countries uh, wanting to replenish stocks after uh, COVID-19 is over? 
So, Jim, some general questions there around how demand is changing as a result of COVID in the U.S. and China, and any comment that you can provide for, for uh, information. I think it's an, an area where we're very much turning attention uh, uh, with everybody. I believe that in the as COVID has become an issue, our immediate uh, focus, as we pointed out earlier in the call, was about uh, ensuring that uh, the Canadian value chain could continue to to produce canola and uh, process it and export it. And um, a lot of our efforts initially have gone into that. And at this time, we're really turning our attention to those issues that are being raised around um, what the uh, global financial situation looks like and the impact it may have on on the export of our products. Um, we've seen uh, media around um, difference in the utilization of uh, oil, for example, canola oil in the U.S. market, where um, obviously areas that the, the food service industry, from a point of view of restaurants and so on, has be, has been affected by the closure of, uh, of those and the COVID mitigation tactics. But on the other hand, the uh, food processing side uh, has increased. And so um, some of the slack has been taken up uh, and by that and there's strong demand for our products in other sectors. So I think it's something that uh, the whole industry is really turning a lot of attention to. And as I said earlier, in terms of our promotion as well, um, you know, COVID affects how we can do that without being able to travel, um, do the kind of seminars that we have normally done or having in coming missions where we're able to meet with uh, customers and uh, and do tours of uh, Canadian operations and so on. So we need to find new ways of, of doing that and we'll continue uh, to, to promote uh, canola around the world uh, despite these uh, complications. So right now, uh, one more question on COVID for Jim. Uh, with respect to, uh, this is from Ron in Manitoba. So regarding COVID-19, are there any parallels to the meat processing industry in the grain logistics system? Are there any points along the shipment of grain where there are significant amounts of workers working in close proximity to each other, which could be a risk similar to what the meat processing industry has experienced? Well, you know, certainly in um, <clears throat> the grain uh, handling sector in terms of uh, inland elevators and terminals and uh, canola processing plants. There are numerous workers working in, in particular facilities. To my knowledge, there are no significant issues uh, uh, like the ones that are currently um, uh, a challenge in the meat industry uh, in the grain handling and grain uh, canola processing sector. Um, and so while I think there there, there are in the processing sector and, and perhaps in marine terminals and so on, um, places where uh, we need to be very vigilant about um, keeping the mitigation measures in place and um, following public health officials' advice. Um, to my knowledge, there are no significant issues at this time. Well, now we'll turn to BRM, and some of these questions cross over between the China commentary as well as, as the COVID commentary. Uh, we'll turn to Rick for, for these questions. The first one is from uh, Ron in Manitoba. Does government give, uh, regarding B business risk management, does government give farm groups grief over current agri-invest account balances when lobbying for increases to BRM programming? Uh, thank you for the question, Ron. Um, I wouldn't say they give us grief, um, but they do, and I know that uh, it does come up periodically, that they have noted that there is still about at least $2 billion in Farmers Agri-Invest accounts. They can see that. Um, I understand that it probably um, throws a little cold water on our ask when we start talking about Agri-Invest because of that $2 billion sitting in an account. Do they give us grief? Um, no, they they, uh, they they but they do take note of it. Um, so I think that could be an issue that's holding us back somewhat. An additional question um, around uh, cash advance. Is there any push to renew an expanded interest-free cash advance for canola? Uh, if not, why not? This is from Mike. Most most of the requests, uh, and, and we do about 11,000 advances a year, so we talk to farmers daily, constantly, and most of the uh, 
comments directly from the users of the program are not about the interest-free part. Um, I know there was a an increase uh, and understand the increase up to 500,000 interest-free got a lot of farmers attention but really uh, going back to the 100,000 interest-free under the current 2020 program has not uh, generated a lot of questions about the interest-free component mostly because the interest rate is super low now and our interest rate uh, at CCJ on advances over the $100,000 is CIBC prime minus 0.75%. Um, it is subprime even on the interest bearing portion of the advance. We all know where the, where, where the interest rate is at. So it's very, very low interest charges right now. And we're not hearing much from farmers about uh, pushing for more interest free just because um, I hate to say it, it's not free, but uh, it's almost free even on the interest bearing given the low rates that we're experiencing right now. Thanks, Rick. Uh, we have uh, another question uh, here from Lyle. <clears throat> Just I know you spoke earlier about the, the challenge in getting advances out as quickly as possible. Uh, Lyle is asking what is the expected time uh, for processing advances now? Uh, I cannot give a uh, a firm answer on that and the reason is it is the right answer is it depends it depends if the farmer has a good track record uh, with us and it depends if they are looking for an advance in excess of 400,000 and it depends on the individual's farmers credit score um, and their PPASA uh, registrations that they uh, that they have which we have to look at now um, so it on, on, on ones that are over 400,000, uh, those are the ones that we have to stick to the more stringent process to determine credit worthiness. Um, those automatically result in assessment of credit scores and a PPSA registration search for that farmer. And that takes a long time. Um, and it, however, a farmer coming in for only 100,000 interest free and they've been a customer for the last five years and have no default records or track record, um, those can go very go through very quickly within a, a week or two, but these other more uh, difficult ones that take a lot more work uh, will take weeks. Um, but again, it depends on which advance and which farmer and the circumstances for each one. So it's hard to give a definitive answer to the question. Thanks, Rick. One last question related to business risk management before we move back to questions on China. We'll hope to wrap up in the next 10 minutes or so, and we'll try to get as many questions answered uh, as we can in that time. So Rick, the question is around the Canola Growers Association's ask to increase agri-invest from one to 5%. This is from Ron in Manitoba. Um, and this is increasing from one to 5% without matching farmer dollars. Would the cap of $10,000 per producer be removed? Currently the first limit to agri-invest uh, dollars is the $10,000 cap for our farm? Yeah, the, uh, the the cap would go up proportionately. So that $10,000 uh, at 1% would be increased to $50,000 at the 5%. So it would be a proportionate increase of the cap uh, around it is the concept we've been pushing. Now we'll uh, go back to the topic of China where we've got a few questions that have come in. Um, there's uh, in similar vein to previous questions, uh, the question from Mike is, uh, has the Canola Council or the Canola Growers Association ever approached the grain companies to develop a coordinated export program to China, uh, which would work around the trade limitations placed on Viterra and Richardson? Jim, would you like to address that one? I would just I would say that all of the companies are are working very uh, closely through the value chain in the Canola Council with the growers and with the other elements of the value chain to provide a united uh, approach to uh, working uh, to restore the market with China and to work with our our government. Another question from Rick: uh, In terms of export diversification, how many uh, how many countries does Canada export canola to, and where in the world has capability to crush canola? Well, it's a, it's a good question, and um, we export canola seed to over 50 markets uh, uh, around the world. Um, the major markets, of course, are uh, in the United States, China, Japan, and Mexico, and then a range of uh, uh, other markets that are significant markets also. 
Now, when we look around the world, it's, it, it is an important consideration. Canola needs to be processed. And so one of the uh, challenges in finding new markets is uh, ensuring that you have the processing capacity um, in that market to be able to sell canola seed. And those markets that don't have uh, processing capacity of their own are clients for canola oil uh, sales. So um, when we do look around the world, um, the United Arab Emirates has crushing capacity. Pakistan has a, has a growing uh, crushing capacity. It's one of the factors with the with trade to China is that the largest uh, importer and processor of oil seeds in the world is China, and they have crushing capacity, and so um, that creates a demand for uh, for canola and other oil seeds to that market. So I would say primarily uh, we're focused on uh, new markets in, in Asia where there is also um, growth in terms of um, consumer um, disposable income and, uh, and a larger middle class and changing diets that, that favor, that favor uh, canola products. So um, the, the, the key markets that I say there that we are, are focused on are the United Arab Emirates, Pakistan, also uh, Bangladesh. We're also, from a feed point of view, a canola meal point of view, um, looking at the markets like Thailand, and uh, there's, some, there's some interest there. I think that concludes the questions we have on China. We have one or two left around COVID. Um, the question is, uh, from Lee, uh, do you think that there is room or opportunity for Agriculture Canada to reconsider and start regular research programs for 2020? Uh, Lee references other grain commodity groups not being particularly optimistic. Uh, Jim or Rick, would you like to comment on that? Well, we're trying to uh, to discuss. I think the answer is yes, uh, first of all, but um, but. Um, you know, we need to be recognize uh, the the strain that uh, governments are under with respect to their own human resources and those resources, you know, um, being uh, being restricted by the COVID restrictions that are in place. So, as I said earlier in the call, our, our approach, Lee, is to look at, you know, can we deal with look, what are the priorities for research, the higher priorities, and in those particular projects, can they be done in a way that is safe for those people who are involved in in uh, in executing them, and how can we work to uh, make sure that that's the case so that that research should go ahead. So that's the discussion we're having with agriculture right now. Um, you know, to the discussion Rick was having earlier about advanced payments and so on, and any you know, you know, it's important, I think, to keep in mind that the government of Canada is uh, dealing with a very, very significant public health challenge. And a lot of the officials that we work with on a regular basis are kind of reassigned to working on the mitigation or on the COVID file um, because of how critical a national importance that that is. And so, um, you know, we recognize that there are issues with um, managing all of the issues that are on the federal government's plate, and research in agriculture is one of them. But we um, feel that as if we can focus on the priorities and look at how we can adapt to the restrictions that are in place uh, because of COVID, then we can continue the most important research going forward. So one last question before we wrap up. It's more a question of clarification for you, Rick, around AgriInvest. Uh, what would be the advantage of raising the agri-invest limit and losing the matching portion? Uh, no, we we are asking to raise the limit and it not have to be matched by the farmer so that um, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada would put in 5% of the farmer's uh, um, allowable net sales into the agri-invest account with no matching requirements by the farmer. Thanks for that clarification, Rick. Now we'll move to any final remarks that Jim or Rick would like to make before we conclude. Uh, back to you, Jim. I think, uh, Brian, I'd, I'd say thank you for everybody for participating. I hope these calls are helpful. And uh, uh, But secondly, um, we continue to work on behalf of the industry. We're really focused on making sure that the crop can go in the ground uh, efficiently this spring. And we know everybody's getting ready uh, for that, where we can help on that, uh, we certainly are trying. And when it comes to COVID, as I say, generally speaking, the, the reports we get from the value chain are that things are in reasonably good shape, especially relative to some other sectors that are really having difficulty with uh, COVID mitigation. 
Um, but if we've missed anything, if there's issues that come to mind or issues that come up in the near future, please uh, let us know. And as Rick has been pointing out, we are on these calls regularly with the government of Canada and we will raise those issues with them and, and try to coordinate the solution. So thank you very much. To you, Rick. Uh, sure, and it's probably just more of a reiteration of what Jim just said. Uh, just a reminder to everyone on the call that we have ongoing and very open communications direct with the highest levels of the government, particularly the Agriculture Department officials, including the minister and the minister's office as well. Um, so we have our ear to the ground, and to do that, uh, we need the farmers on this call to give us the intel that we need on any problems that you are experience out there, experiencing out there with whatever op, uh, operational problems that you may be uh, observing. And we need specific examples of that. So please know that we are constantly uh, looking and, and monitoring the situation and your input direct to us on this. We can get that to the government very, very quickly. Um, but again, it needs to be specific examples of problems that you uh, will be could be experiencing. So just a reminder, um, our ears are open and uh, we're on these calls and uh, your input is critical. Well, thanks everyone for participating today. We had several hundred people register and participate, uh, which is really positive for the Canola Council and the Canola Growers Association to be able to connect directly with farmers and industry representatives who want to hear the latest and have questions about what's going on with China market access as well as the COVID-19 situation. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone that the latest updates around China are available on the canolacouncil.org website or the ccga.ca site as well, uh, which uh, provides links to the council site on market access. Um, and as Rick mentioned, uh, there is an ongoing interest in, in staying in touch with farmers and industry representatives from across the country, especially um, on the issue of COVID and how it's affecting the agri-food supply chain. So please uh, do reach out to us uh, via the contact information on our website um, if you have questions or further comments about that. We did have an opportunity to get to most of the questions. There were several uh, which uh, we did not, and we will take the opportunity to connect your question with the relevant staff members at the two organizations so they can respond uh, in more detail. Thanks again for your participation. Uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you and working on your behalf uh, to continue to keep uh, market access uh, front and center in the minds of the Canadian government and to uh, do what is needed to help our industry uh, operate in these very interesting times. Thank you very much. Look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks to Jim Everson and Rick White for their updates and to Brian Innes for moderating. For more updates from the Canola Council of Canada, go to canolacouncil.org. For more from the Canadian Canola Growers Association, go to ccga.ca. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.